If you would, take your copy of the Scriptures again and open up with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We've been going through this verse, I mean this book, verse by verse. I need to tell that to the visitors. I, I did not purposely pick this verse of wives submit to your husbands for any particular reason other than... Other than I've had one husband that's been asking me for a long time to preach on it now. Other than this is expositionally where we come to as we work through God's Word verse by verse. And each verse is God's Word. And so as we come to it, we do not skip it, but we preach it. So, having said that, we're going to look at verses 22 through 24 today. But as this is fair and balanced, we're going to read down to verse 33 so we cover the husbands as well. There you go. She's going to be taking copious notes next week. (laughs) Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands. Love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it, cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, if you were here last week, you know that this section on Christian relationships, which begins here in verse 22 with the wives, is really just a practical outworking of what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit in the home. Ephesians 5.18, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. What does that look like? Verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and in hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Uh, What does it look like? Also, verse 20, giving thanks always and everything to the Lord. And also, verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. And verse 22, Wives submitting to your own husbands, and then as we continue, husband, what does it look like? It looks like sacrificially loving your wife. This is what it means to be spirit-filled within the home. Now, many have tried to argue that verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, actually cancels out verse 22, wives submit to your husbands. In other words, what they say is that what Paul is calling for here is a kind of mutual submission that erases the differences in roles that God has ordained in marriage. 
A submission that flows in both directions, but of course that is ridiculous because if submission means anything, it can only flow in one direction. And yet, though this is true, there is still a sense that we are husband and wives to submit to one another. A sense in which the husband does submit to his wife, and that is because a good leader is a servant leader, not a tyrant. A servant leader serves those who are under them by submitting to whatever is best for them, thinking of their needs, aiming to meet their needs. Now, Philippians 2 is a good example of this. You can turn there to Philippians chapter 2. Paul really applying this kind of principle of submitting to one another to the church. and gives us an example, a practical application of what that looks like. In Philippians 2, starting in verse 3, Paul writes, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. This is meant to, in the context of Philippians, bring unity to the church. He had exhorted them in that way. But also, it is meant to be a practical outworking of what it means to be a Christian. He had said, if there is any encouragement, any love, any sympathy of the Spirit, walk in this way. What does that look like? Like this. Don't look only to your own interests, look out for the interest of others. So in the church, we are to be more concerned about the interest of others than our own interest. This is the humble submissiveness that defines or that defines what it means to walk worthy and according to our call. This is the kind of spirit-filled submission to one another that ought to exist within the church and also ought to exist within our marriages. Wives and husbands all submitting to one another in accordance with the roles that they have been given. For the wife, this is played out by submitting to your husband's leadership, respecting him. For the husband, this is played out by loving your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. By the way, husbands, if you want a blueprint, you're wondering what exactly does that look like? If we continue reading in Philippians chapter 2, Paul gives us an example. It is Christ. Right after telling them, don't look only to your own interest, he says, have this mind, Philippians 2, 5, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It ought to be yours in Christ Jesus. And then this example, speaking of Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So husbands, this is what it looks like for you to look out for the interest of your wife and to serve her as Christ has served the church. He served you in such a way, and so also he expects you to serve your wife. And so we serve Christ by serving our wife, and in some sense this means to submit to them by meeting their needs. So the wife, she submits herself to the husband, recognizes his headship given by God in the home, 
And the husband, he submits himself to the wife by recognizing her needs and self-sacrificing for her to make sure that she is cared for and her needs are met. And yet, while on the one hand, it is true that we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, looking out for each other's interest, on the other hand, we must not entertain the idea that this overarching concept of submission, that it somehow erases the biblical concepts of headship, submission, role distinctions within the home, because it does not. There are no two-headed monsters within God's creation. We're not in the beginning, and He does not mean to create one now in our marriages. There is one head in the church, and that is Christ, and we submit to the head. And there is one head in the home, and that is the husband. And the wife is called to submit to the husband. So all that to say that the statement made in verse 21 that we are to submit to one another in this way is merely the foundation of what Paul is working off when we come to verse 22. In other words, we understand what he is saying. Now one reason we know that, that these two things are connected, is because actually in the Greek, as you come to verse 22, the verb submit is not there, to which all the ladies cry, foul. (laughs) Who put it in there? Well, in the Greek it reads like this. Wives, to your own husbands as to the Lord. Which is a statement that makes no sense by itself, but it is not by itself. It comes right after this concept of submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. Wives, to your husbands. Submit has been supplied here in your English translation so that you get the sense of it. Now, if the absence of the verb bothers you or tempts you to think that because it's not here that you do not have to submit in this way, then turn over to Colossians 3, 18. Because here, you'll be excited to know, Paul says the same thing and uses the verb. Colossians 3, 18. Very simple. Exactly the same. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. It was a different context, and so he could not just carry it over without the verb, and so he supplies the verb because that is exactly what he means to say. So, while submission is a general characteristic of a spirit-filled person, both for the husband and the wife, it is within a marriage a specific characteristic of a spirit-filled wife, a role given to her. To strengthen that argument, all we would have to do is go back a few more verses to Ephesians 5.17, which reads, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What is the will of the Lord? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What does this look like for the wife? Submit to your own husband as to the Lord. How do we know God's will? It is His Word. And this is what His Word says. Submit to your own husband. And we're thankful that it says, submit to your own husband, not to every husband. You picked your own. You did not pick the other ones. You just submit to him. This is the Lord's will. Which, of course, in our current culture is a bit outdated. Might even be labeled as oppressive by others. And yet, this is God's clear, revealed will. And we cannot give on it, nor would we want to give on it, because God's revealed will is always best. Now, by this point, Paul has actually already prepared us for the reality that we might 
have to walk out of step with the world. You remember, we were once darkness, they are now darkness, but now we are light. These concepts are contrary to one another, completely opposite of one another. Colossians 1.12 tells us we've been delivered from the domain of darkness, transferred into the kingdom of His beloved Son, the kingdom of light. They walk in darkness, we walk in light. So these things being the case, it does not surprise us that the commands and the morals of the kingdom of light might seem a bit out of step with the kingdom of darkness. They don't get it. That such statements are triggering to our current culture or politically incorrect ought not to make us rethink them, nor should it cause us to go to the Word and and seek to reinterpret them. On the contrary, such things are evidence that we might actually be walking according to the Word. We should expect it. And so our starting point for understanding His will is not our feelings or our culture or modern ideas as to what makes for a successful marriage. The starting point is always the untampered with Word of God. Now, although the world by its very nature will be against this, they suppress the truth in unrighteousness, and certainly this is one of the truths that they suppress, Romans 1.18. We must also acknowledge to our shame within the wider evangelical church that one of the reasons this concept is hated is because it certainly has been abused. Christian husbands and leaders have failed in this area. There has been, in the name of submission, physical abuse, harsh words, domineering attitudes, a constant preferring of themselves, over their wives, the idea that submission means she must submit to your every desire and serve you, a misogynistic reading of the text that would make the husband into a kind of tyrant in his own home, all in the name of Christ-like submission. I think we can be sympathetic to why some people may have a hard time with this. And yet, though there have been many failures, we cannot and must not toss out the baby with the bathwater. This is not the corrective. To correct such failures, we don't throw out God's Word and replace it with our own. This is to lead to more failure. Instead, we allow God's Word to correct us when we're off. His Word is always the corrective. Correction does not come by reinterpreting the word or throwing it out altogether. It is found by a right understanding and application of it. A kind of understanding and application that shines in the midst of darkness and invites those of the darkness to come and to see the light of the gospel, which marriage is meant to display. Submission and headship all being a part of that. Correction is always found in understanding and applying God's Word. This alone is able to restore order and purpose and peace and joy and happiness within our marriages. This alone creates the kind of gospel picture that the world so desperately needs to see. And so with all of this in mind, and with the goal of seeking after these kinds of marriages, I want to turn now to consider the role of the wife. 
ladies first. Husbands, I'm pretty sure your wife will make sure you're here next week. Five headings, or actually, sorry, three headings. For those of you who grabbed a worksheet, you will know that I changed this late last night. Three headings to help us walk through this. Help us understand and rightly apply the idea of biblical submission so that the concept is not abused, but used for the glory of God. The first is this, a spirit-inspired command. This is, as it is in the Word of God, a spirit-inspired command. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Again, that is, to say the least, a triggering, hated statement within our culture. To take this on college campuses would be also to be escorted off the college campuses. And yet, we don't hold it because we think it's fun to trigger people, poke fun at them. And husbands, we certainly don't hold to it because, contrary to what some may think, we desire to oppress our wives and stifle them. No, we hold to this command for this very same reason that we hold to all others, and that is because it is in the Word of God. There it is, plainly, wives, to your own husbands, give submission. That command is not in the Bible, because Paul decided with the Ephesians, the Ephesian men, to get together in a secret meeting and to create something that would oppress women. Not at all. This was given by the Holy Spirit in order to help women fulfill their God-given role, that they might flourish And so this is spirit-inspired. But what does it mean? You don't have the command unless you understand the meaning. Well, despite the confusion that surrounds this concept, and despite how many people have tried to take this concept and confuse it, it is actually pretty simple. To submit just means to arrange or to line up under. It is to have the idea of a head and someone who is under that head. And just so you don't have to take my word for it, let me give you a few definitions from some Greek lexicon, some dictionaries to back that up. First, from BDAG, a lexicon that is really considered one of the gold standards of Greek, it has this, to cause to be in a submissive relationship, to bring someone to subjection, to subordinate. Another Greek lexicon has to arrange under, to subordinate, to subject, to put in subjection. Another dictionary says this, to place or arrange under, to subordinate. The New American Standard Greek Dictionary has this, to place or rank under, to subject. Not a lot of confusion there. Pretty much all saying the same thing. How did they come up with that? Well, it comes right from the Greek word itself, hupotasso. Two words coming together to make one word. Hupo, the preposition, which means under. You heard under in each of those definitions. And tasso, the verb, which means to arrange or to order. So the idea of submission is to arrange under, to submit. So the Bible teaches that there is order within the context of marriage. There is someone over, someone under. There are different roles and responsibilities, submission, headship, leadership, subjection, respect, and love. This is the language of order, which, by the way, has nothing to do with value. That there is different order does not assume that one is less or more valuable than the other. Quite the contrary. This is all about order, unity, 
accomplishing something together. Now, in a military city, this is probably not hard to understand. You get this. You understand headship. You understand submission. All of these things make sense. And actually, even within the context of Ephesians, this makes sense because we've already been told that Christ is the head, right? He is the head of the church, which, of course, assumes that we, as the members, are to submit to him. We're under him. No one argues with that. So order has been brought to the church by Christ and now to marriage. Paul says, wives, you are to be under your husbands. Christ is the head of the church. Husbands, you are the head of the wives. The church submits to Christ and wives submit to your husbands. This is the idea of Ephesians 5.24. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. There's no way to get around the concept. The concept of wives submitting to their husbands actually appears multiple times in the New Testament. Twice in Ephesians, verse 22 and 24. Once in Colossians, we've already seen, and then in 1 Peter and Titus. We've already seen the other, so we'll look at 1 Peter. 1 Peter 3.1 says this, Likewise, wives, in other words, he's basically doing the same thing that Paul did in Ephesians, in Ephesians, he's just talked about submission in all contexts. Peter did the same thing, submit to the authorities in your lives. Now, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. What conduct? Submission and respect. And then you can turn over to Titus 2, chapter 3. Here we have a command given to older women, a responsibility Older women within the church, this is what it says, Titus 2.3, likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. This would, of course, upset order within the church. Instead, they are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, workers at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands. Why? that the Word of God may not be reviled. In other words, this is good. Older women, you are to teach what is good. What is good? Well, one of the things that is good is that the younger women are to learn how to submit to their own husbands. This also assumes, older women, that we need this ministry within the church, that you would teach them how to submit to a bunch of doofus husbands like ourselves. What do I do in this situation? He's doing this. An older woman has lived through that and has learned. By the way, husband, I wasn't talking about you. It was the other guy, all right? <laughs> so inherent to this word is the idea of someone being under or submitting under someone else's authority. Now, lest all you spirit-filled husbands in the room leave here thinking that it is your responsibility to force your wife into submission, let me give you one more aspect of this verb. The word submit, as it appears in verse 24 of Ephesians and in Colossians 3.18, is in the middle verse, middle voice, meaning that the focus of this word is not on what the husband is to do to the wife, submit to me, 
The focus of the word is on what the wife does to herself. She submits oneself to her husband. In other words, in a Christian marriage, submission is given by the wife, not forced by the husband. Search for it all you want. You will not find it. Husbands, we are not to lord our position over our wives. That is worldly leadership. Jesus tells us this, Matthew 20, 25. Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, and then this, it shall not be amongst you. For whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Now, I cannot imagine that by this, Jesus means that in the church, it shall not be like this, but in the home, tyrants have at it. Be domineering. That's what will most create a gospel picture. Of course not. We don't lord it over our wives. We serve them. Matthew 20, 27, Jesus continues, And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Servant leadership, not domineering worldly leadership. So husbands, it is not your responsibility to make her submit. Husbands, it is not your responsibility to make her submit. This is not your calling, that is her calling. Now, you do have a responsibility, we've covered it. You are to love your wife sacrificially just as Christ loved you. In other words, be willing to die for her. That's your responsibility. Now, you won't live up to it. And by the way, wives, this does not mean that if he fails to live up to it, that you don't have to submit Quite the contrary. Peter takes this even further, 1 Peter 3, 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, we're really talking about unbelieving husbands here. As a characteristic of their life, they're not in obedience to the word of God. Even if they don't, you submit. Why? That they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So in the same way that you submit to a boss who is less than perfect, you are called to submit to a husband, even an unbelieving one, who is less than perfect. Now, in our current day, a caveat is needed. Let me say this. This does not mean, wives, that you must submit to physical abuse. This is not the case. Paul says, submit as to the Lord, and the Lord definitely does not want you to submit under such things. If you live with an angry bear, and the angry bear charges you, you run. You get protection. You don't lay down and take the beating. This is not what God desires. Even the church persecuted did not do that. If there was a means of escape, they took it. And so also it should be. Now, this does not mean that if you live with an angry bear that isn't charging, that you provoke him. You certainly don't want to make him run at you. 
And here we have the wisdom of God's word that it calls you to be gentle. And gentleness might just be what the Lord uses to tame that bear, which, of course, you want to do. And yet, even that's not your responsibility. Only one will tame him, and that is the Lord. And so as you submit as you can in everything that is not contrary to the Word of God, you can know this, that the Lord has your best interest in mind and that your husband's heart is in his hand. He controls the situation. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will, and so also is your husband's. Husbands, none of this is an excuse for poor or selfish leadership. You see, just as your wife is called to submit to you, despite your inability to sacrificially love her as you ought, so also you are called to sacrificially love her and die for her and serve her regardless of her inability to live up to her calling. She's not submitting. Does not mean that you are harsh with her. In fact, the Lord says, if you are, I will not hear your prayers. You continue to sacrificially love her. All of this really ought to press upon the husbands a great weight of responsibility to lead in such a way that is easy to follow. And you don't have to read a lot of leadership books to figure this out. You just have to go a few more verses ahead and see it's Christ-like leadership. This is what is easy to follow. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Do that, and I think you might find that your wife is a little more willing to follow your leadership. So all of this comes together in verse 22 to help us understand the meaning of the command so that submission would not be understood as something that is forced upon the wife, but rather by a spirit-filled wife given to her husband. And yet, how is it given? What is the attitude behind this submission? We see that as we continue on a spirit-inspired attitude. Paul writes, wives, submit to your husbands, and then he adds, as to the Lord. Here's the attitude. Or verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. What is your attitude of submission? As to the Lord, as to Christ. Meaning your submission is not reluctant. You don't just submit because you have to, but rather it is to be given, Paul says, as to the Lord. In other words, your submission to your husband is given joyfully, willfully. It is not rooted, your submission, in your husband's strikingly handsome good looks or his Thor-like muscles that will decrease over time. (laughs) Nor is it rooted in his John MacArthur-like ability to lead. Your submission is rooted in your submission to Christ. This is why you submit. It's to Christ. Submit as you would to Christ. Do it joyfully and willingly and as an act of worship to the Lord. Paul gives a similar encouragement to slaves in Colossians. Now turn over with me to Colossians 3.22. Paul, writing to the slaves who have a calling 
that certainly would not have been easy, gives them some principles, which lifts their calling to an eternal level. Bond servants, slaves, Paul says. Colossians 3.22, Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. We take some of these principles and we bring them over. Paul calls wives to submit to their own husbands as to the Lord. This is a similar principle that he's giving in Colossians. What he's saying is don't just submit because you have to. Actually, even more than that, don't just submit to please your husband or to please those around you because you want to look good. Rather, submit out of fear and love for Christ. Submit knowing that it is ultimately from Christ that you will receive a reward. Knowing that He sees it all, even your heart. Submit knowing that you are ultimately serving your Master, Jesus. All of this also comes down as a protection for you. Because this means if your husband asks you to do something that is outside of the Lord's will, you have a reason, and dare I say a responsibility, not to do it. You are to submit to your husband as to the Lord, which is to say, in a way that would please him. Christ is ultimately your master, not your husband. And thus, if submission to your husband is going to take you outside of the Lord's will, you cannot and must not do it. Gently, respectfully, I cannot do this. I must submit to Christ. Husbands, as you lead, know this. She is called to submit to you. As to the Lord, which means you ought to lead as would the Lord. It is kind of hard to submit to someone as to the Lord if they are leading as the devil. For now, wives, know that this is to be the Spirit-inspired attitude of your submission. As to the Lord. He gives an illustration of this in verse 24. What does this look like or mean now as the church submits to Christ? So also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Again, everything is qualified. This certainly does not mean everything, including things that are disobedient to Christ, no. But everything that falls within those boundaries, yes, that is the desire to submit respectfully. What does it look like for a wife to submit It looks like the church submitting to Christ in everything. If you want to create marriages that are blessed and happy and joy-filled and unified, there needs to be a church that first submits to Christ. Now there is an illustration and example to follow. Faithful churches make for faithful wives. Also, by the way, husbands, you're included in this. You're a part of the church. You want to provide an example of what it means for your wife to submit to you? Then faithfully submit to Christ in everything. This is the example. As the church gladly submits to the rule of Christ as her head, so also wives should be subject to their husbands in everything. 
That is everything not contrary to the word. To their head. This is the spirit-inspired attitude behind the command. And this kind of attitude is the kind of attitude that illustrates the gospel. We don't submit to the Lord reluctantly or because we have to, but because we want to. That's the idea. You submit to the Lord in this way. But there is a third heading that is important. I've skipped over the verse. We'll come back to it. That is verse 23. And that third heading is a Spirit-inspired reason. What is the reason for all of this? Well, one of the reasons given from verse 23 is that the husband is the head of the wife. It says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Our God is a God of order, not chaos, not confusion, but peace. And order flows in one direction, from the top down. Military city, we understand this again. You know that enlisted men don't command generals. It doesn't work that way. Generals command enlisted men. There is a chain of command. And the reason for this is because there is an important mission to accomplish. Sometimes a war to win. And if everybody's commanding everything else, then no one knows what to do. Disunity, chaos, no one wants that. Even though the world may say that that is good, they know it's not. That's why there's laws to keep order. And yet, this is not only a military term. It's also order as a concept for the church. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 14. Here we have Paul writing to the Corinthian church. And we're going to come to a passage that is, again, quite triggering for our culture. Certainly out of step, even within church culture. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 14, 33. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in the church. Why is Paul writing this? Does he hate women? Does he think that they have nothing good to bring to the table? Nothing to contribute? Of course not. This comes within a context. And the context is a church that is completely out of order. Just a few verses earlier, we see this. Verse 26, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. In other words, you're coming to your corporate gathering and everyone's standing up at the same time, referring themselves, I've got the most important thing to say, everything's out of order, and what's the result? No edification. Paul says, let all things be done for building up. In other words, everything's out of order. No one's submitting to one another. No roles, nothing. And nothing's being accomplished. Now, the military has missions to accomplish, but the church has a far greater mission to accomplish. And there are roles that are given. And Paul says, seeking to bring order, verse 27, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, each in turn, and let someone interpret. 
But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Essentially, he says, keep that to yourself. Keep it to yourself. Women were a part of this. And Paul says, according to the roles, let women be silent within the corporate gatherings. It's not a value statement, that's an order statement. So within this context, Paul tells the wives to be silent for the sake of order. Matthew Henry writes about this. I I love this. He says, Not that as it is a woman's duty to learn in subjection, or note that it is a woman's duty to learn in subjection, it is the man's duty to keep up his superiority. That is, by being able to instruct her. If it is her duty to ask her husband at home, well, then it is his concern and duty to endeavor at least to be able to answer her questions at home. If it is a shame for her to speak in the church where she should be silent, well, also, it is a shame for him to be silent when he should speak and the wife brings a question to him. My wife has some questions. Husbands, we are to get to work and to know the Word of God and to care for her in this way. All that to say, our God loves order. Within the church, order produces edification, edification of the members and glorification of the head, and so it is with the family as well. There is order. Now, husbands, Paul says you are the head of your wife. And this means God is going to hold you responsible for what happens in your marriage. If you want proof of that, just look at Adam. Poor Adam. Chronologically, he did not sin first. It's pretty clear. Eve was tempted. She took the fruit. She ate. She gave it to Adam. I'm sure manipulated him into eating it. No. How is this Adam's fault? Lord, the woman that you gave me, she made me do it. How is this his fault? One word, headship. Headship. He owns it because he's the head. Romans 5.12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through man, through Adam, he takes the fall for the fall because he's the head. When the fall happened, God did not go to Eve. He went to Adam. Genesis 3.8, they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. There they are, both huddled together. The Lord knows that. He knows how all this played out. And yet, verse 9, But the Lord God, very specific here, called to the man and said to him, Where are you? When the man tried to give an excuse, God did not accept it. You're the head. You had a responsibility. You failed. He gave the command to Adam. 
The original command of not eating in the tree was given to Adam before Eve was created. And obviously, God expected Adam to make sure it was obeyed not only by him, but also by Eve. To pass it on, to explain it, to encourage it, to protect her in this way. In other words, husbands, you cannot shirk your responsibility to care for your wife and then blame her when something goes wrong. God held Adam responsible, and he will also hold us responsible. Adam should have been proactive in his care for Eve, and so also should you. As I read that situation, I don't see Adam speaking up much. And that also may be the case in your home, not speaking up much. Adam ought to have proactively cared for Eve. This is true. But it's also equally as true. And to your benefit, ladies, to understand that Eve should have proactively sought out the leadership of her husband. Submitting to his leadership. True, Adam failed to lead Eve and protect her. But also true, Eve failed to submit to and seek out Adam's leadership. So don't make the same mistake. You have a head. You've been given a husband to sacrificially love and care for you. So encourage him as such and help him to become the head he needs to be by seeking out his leadership. Ask him questions. Encourage him to be the kind of leader that God expects him to be. Pray for him. In other words, help him. Help him. And by doing this, you help yourself. One flesh union. Fulfill your role as his helper. Eve was given to Adam as a gift for such a purpose, and so too are you. Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit or suitable for him. Husbands, you need help. Wives, you know this. And husbands, it is in your best interest to also know this and not to reject it when it comes, but to lead in such a way that invites it, accepts it, and encourages it. All of this, headship, submission, comes together to paint a picture of what it looks like to be a spirit-filled wife and to have a spirit-filled home, one in which the gospel shines forth to the world. The world looks in and they see this kind of submission going on, this love going on. What they see is Christ's love for the church and the church's love for Christ. They see something that they want. And we ought to have something to offer. This is what it looks like. This isn't easy, but this is the Lord's will. And he never commands what isn't good. Nor does he command what cannot be fulfilled. He has given you his spirit and certainly the spirit as the ultimate helper will help. And finally, let me say this in conclusion. That perhaps some of this has generated some questions or perhaps I said something that I shouldn't have said. 
But a sermon can't answer every specific situation. But it is our desire to help. And so if you're in a certain situation and you're not sure what to do, please let us know. And we would love to pray with you and to come alongside of you in any way that we can. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for the clarity of your word, which teaches us how to live out our roles in marriage so that you are most glorified. We understand this isn't easy. Wives will fail husbands. Husbands will fail their wives. But Father, you will never fail. So help us to submit ourselves under your word that we might fulfill the roles that you have given us. Fill us, Father, with your Holy Spirit that our marriages might be spirit-filled as you desire them to be. Lord, strengthen the wives amongst us so that they might fulfill their calling. So that we, as husbands, might be encouraged and strengthened and helped to fulfill the calling you've placed on us. And together, make us one for the sake of the gospel. So that our ministry, to those that you've placed around us, would not only be valued, but useful, used by you. All of this we pray in the name of your Son, who is the head of the church and the one to whom we all ultimately submit. Amen. Isaiah 53.